welcome once again to another Coffee and Heroes podcast. We're back now, right on track with our weekly review show. Of course, we're back on track with weekly reviews on a week where the delivery didn't arrive, and we might not have a weekly review show next week, but that's something to worry about later. What we're going to be doing this week is going through our favourite titles that were released on the 3rd of February of this year. We'll do our usual intro chat, a little roundup of pop culture news, comics news, and maybe even a little chat about WandaVision now that someone we won't mention who, has finally caught up. So your host is always Alan from uh, Coffee and Heroes. I'm delighted as always to be joined by Keith. Hello there, how are you? I am 100% man, I am really really good at the moment and uh, also delighted to be joined by Paddy. How are you sir? I am very well, yes, I'm delighted to be here. It was due to happen last night but I had a bit of a stomach bug over the weekend so delighted to get to get back on it. Yeah, see, I don't believe that for a second. I saw that Man United were playing in the FA Cup last night, and I'm convinced you just wanted to watch football. I think it'd be even more sick after watching it. Well, we'll not jump <laughs> on this, in this game. We'll not jump sport into ball. sport ball because Keith's already <laughs> left this chat once, and he might do it again. Thank <laughs> you. But what we will instead do is redirect the conversation around to one division. So. I am going to throw up a spoiler warning here. This is going to be deep, deep spoilers for probably the next five to ten minutes. I'll, of course, mark it in the comments section as well so you guys can skip past if, like me, until three days ago, you haven't watched any of it. Yeah, Vic and I sat down the other night. Uh, I'm going to give Stephen credit slash abuse for this because he kept whining and whining in our group chat about how they couldn't talk about spoilers because I hadn't seen it. You know, forgetting I run a business 24 hours a day, seven days a week, <laughs> while watching a movie a day, recording podcasts and doing YouTube. But I finally found a night free and Vicky and I sat down. It was it was always going to be all five of them back to back because I saw they tended to be sort of anywhere between 30 to 40 minutes or 20 to 30 minutes when you take out the ridiculous amount of credits. But I finally watched it. I enjoyed it. I don't quite think it lives up to the hype in terms of a coherent show but the moments in it are fantastic i do i don't see it really being a show that i'll go back and watch but what it's setting up and actually the joy of being able to see those moments without having them spoiled i genuinely was like leo in once upon a time in hollywood i pointed <laughs> at the screen at one in the morning to vicky and went that's him out of x-men that's that's the other quicksilver <laughs> So, in terms of moments and what it made me feel in the moment, it was fantastic. But I do think that, I think it's a little overhyped, but that's just me. Go ahead, you two tell me how I'm completely wrong. You go first, Paddy. Yeah, I mean, it's, I absolutely loved it. As I said, episode one and two, when I finished watching it, it was kind of a wee bit like, Marvel missed a beat here. You know, I, I don't think I really like that. Episode three, four, and five, just, it's fantastic. It's, so what it is, it's having that buzz of a weekly TV show, having a week between episodes where, you know, we're chatting about it non-stop, what's going to happen, you know. It's like the old days of TV. I always go back to Lost, the first series of Lost, you know, when you were you were getting to work and you were speculating with everybody about what's happening. And this, for me, is the joy of weekly TV shows. It's something that that Disney do that I hope they stick with. I don't want to watch the likes of WandaVision or Falcon and Winter Soldier on on a binge. I want to watch an episode, have a week to talk about it, and then watch the next episode. I you know it, it works binging works for stuff like Stranger Things where maybe the overall story isn't that important. But I think when you're when you're in the MCU and you have that 
future of their TV series and their film writing on it. For me, it's, it's perfect that it's released weekly. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I mean, I think most of the time with Stranger Things, just as an example, is that most of the action takes place over a day, maybe two days. Whereas certainly with something like WandaVision, it's taken over a, maybe a longer period of time. Maybe that's it. Maybe that was part of my slight disappointment with it is that it, it's not a show designed to be binged. I would have enjoyed being part of that conversation with you guys, speculating on it and so forth. So maybe that's part of it as well. But what about yourself, Keith? As a, as a lifelong Marvel fan, you must be loving it. I, I mean, I, I, do, I do disagree with you to some extent. I mean, I was sort of... I was sort of taken from the start of it because it is as ballsy as hell. I mean, those I know you said those first couple of episodes were. I didn't. I didn't find the episodes slow. I found them completely intriguing. Uh, you know that whenever you were talking, we were talking earlier on about um, comedy shows and laughter tracks, and the way the laughter track was used or not used at certain points during that during those first two episodes. You know, so you had you had the first episode that was sort of set in the. I guess it was the the late the early sixties, you know. It had that early sixties sitcom feel, and you know, at the end of it, it colorized. I remember that happening to Lost in Space whenever uh, we were rewatching Lost in Space, uh, and, and and it went from black and white episodes to, to color episodes. Uh, was you know in the original the original series. So, you know that, and, and it moved you know it moved through time. You know, and to the the third episode was was clearly seventies, and, and episode five was clearly eighties. You know, and I just I thought it was really, it had me just on the i was totally tense and sitting forward in my seat the whole way through it because i was going what the hell is going on here and i mean at this point you know marvel and, and kevin feige have you know what i mean they, they've earned our trust and i think that's why they're able to get away with a show like this and and because they have earned that trust uh, and i just so much of it was sinister you know there were so many sinister things that were happening that was the thing as well. I noticed when you kind of, I think the laughter track and it takes away from them sinister moments. Whereas if you kind of watch it, I'd almost like to watch it without a laughter track because you know there you was don't. a perfect example would be the scene when he was choking. So you know when he was choking on on the, yeah, on, the yeah. on the meat and the laughter track was going on making a bit of a a joke of it all. And you're like, if that laughter track wasn't there, you know, that's a pretty dark but, scene. If if she's that's doing the that. point. That's the point that uh, of the. I mean, the laughter track was used as a tool in it. Yep. And it just was so that's what was so sort of sinister and so sort of noteworthy. You're like, these these things aren't lining up. Why are they not lining up? What is you know, and it, it sort of it, it increased the intrigue. And then, you know, as you say, at the end of nearly at the end of every episode there has there has been a moment, you know, but but the whole way through I was and even in the you know, the credits, they change the credits every you know, the the, the, the front credits every episode. And from the very first minute, the first credits, I was going, Oh, there's there's Agatha Harkness's name referenced. There's Bova's name referenced from uh, from the High Evolutionary, from Wandagore Mountain, where Wanda and, and Pietro were born. You know what I mean? So there were so many wee things in there at the very, very start that I was going, what is going on? These are because because like things like Bova, who is the she's the the uh, anthropomorphic cow who was the midwife for for Pietro and Wanda in the comics. I was going, these are these are deep dives. So as soon as I saw that at the start, I was like. What in this animated sequence? I was like, "What is good?" So, I just just fantastic. I mean, I I uh, I pegged um, uh, some of the characters immediately, uh, and I'm, I'm I'm just wondering. I think Agatha Harkness is definitely going to appear in there. Uh, she was a huge part of of Wanda's life. Um, 
the uh, I'm interested to see what they're doing with uh, with uh, Monica Rambo. I pegged her immediately whenever Fantastic she appears. Fantastic character. Yeah, and I mean that's your link back to Captain Marvel. Whenever she was the she was the kid. Yeah. And Captain Marvel, and of course, you know, Monica Rambo eventually in the comics becomes a version of Captain Marvel. Uh, she becomes Captain Marvel too. She she has powers to uh, uh, to make her body into different forms of radiation and light. Well, light is radiation. My apologies there, <laughs> but different forms of, of radiation, you know, gamma rays or, or or visual spectrum light or all of that sort of stuff. And I'm wondering now, is 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 what whenever Wanda pushed her out through the anomaly, is that what has given her her powers? It does. She have powers, and you know, even as you said, episode four was phenomenal. You know, us seeing what happens whenever the victims of the snap came back five years yeah. later. I was I was near tears. I was like, what? But that's kind <laughs> of was... my point to a degree. Like, there was such a jump in quality. For me, anyway, again, this is just my opinion, but there was such a jump in quality between one to three and four and five that... I don't, I don't think so. You know? I don't think so. I think there was a change in... There was a change in point of view is what there was. Uh, you were seeing it from inside and you're seeing... But I think seeing it from outside gave what you were seeing on the inside context. Uh, I, I just, you know, so I, I don't think it was a, a jump in quality, but rather a shift in perception. Yeah, maybe it's just I'm so, maybe it's just we're so starved of MCU stuff that we just want to see some links. And as soon as you start seeing those links, you get that sort of enthusiasm yeah. for it. Maybe that's all it was. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just, the, the way I look at it is I, I personally don't see myself going back to watch it again the way I would with certain MCU movies. I would go back and watch Daredevil again, for example, even though it's not linked. I would watch Jessica Jones again. With this, what they're setting up is genuinely incredible, and the way they're doing it is so... You sit there with a huge smile on your face when you start seeing those links, and you know you see the event, and you see people coming back. And you know I'm pretty sure at one point there was a casual reference to Fantastic Four as well, where they're walking through S.W.O.R.D., and they're like, oh, what about the space program? Have we got volunteers yet? And I started wondering, is this how they're going to bring Fantastic yeah, Four in Yeah, interesting, interesting, well? yeah. Um, I mean, S.W.O.R.D., S.W.O.R.D., is that an organization that tent... Maybe this is just because of the more recent comic uh, launch of the series, which is a couple issues in. Is it more entrenched in the X-Men world than the Marvel world at large, or are they an organization that sort of go through all titles? No, they were... They were, uh, a, a, they were the, effectively the, the, the space-based version of S.H.I.E.L.D., mm -hmm. Sword and S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, you know, and the, the, the X-Men have only recently, in the last two issues in Al Ewing's new series, really taken ownership mm -hmm. of that. Yeah. Uh, but no, Sword was an organization... Uh, it has been maybe for about ten years. Kieran was it? Kieran Gillen wrote a sword, a short-lived sword book, possibly uh, a bunch of years ago. So, uh, so no, it's been a it's been a general Marvel Universe book. It was linked to Captain Marvel. It was linked to Alpha Flight um, and all of that sort of stuff. So, so yeah, but I mean, I don't know. I'm I've just been in, on the edge of my seat from the start of every. If, if I'm glad the episodes are only half an hour, I could do myself damage. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I'm a, I'm a middle-aged man. I, you know, I can't take it. I um, think it's interesting to come out and say that there is a cameo that's worthy of the same sort of surprise that the Mandalorian season two finale had, which I doubt very much was Pedro. I think it's going to be... I think we're going to see an X-Men. I think we're going to see either someone who's played... You know, so maybe 
Patrick Stewart or Ian McKellen popping up at the end of the series, but I, I expect something really, really big. Right, we'll throw, mm. it, throw it a guess now then, since we're all at the exact same point. If that was to be true, and you could throw in one that either you'd love to see or that you think it might be, who's your guess going to be? You seem to be pretty pretty set on yours, Patty. Yeah, I would go probably Ian McKellen. Ian McKellen. Or Michael Fassbender. No, 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 no. Well, you're only allowed one. You're only allowed one. Magneto. Magneto in that case. <laughs> well played. But we, <laughs> but we only got one Quicksilver, so you can't really. <laughs> How about yourself, Keith? Any any guesses of anywhere it could go in terms well, of those characters? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like, I don't know where originally, we originally did. You were kind of excited about you know, it, it being based on Tom King's vision and certainly those first two or three episodes and the general conceit of the, you know, the soap opera, all-American family style is certainly the aesthetic is taken from that. But mm-hmm. the story, I feel like, is a is a combination of, um, you know, the, the, the West Coast Avengers story where uh, I can't even remember what they called the arc. Uh, you know, where like we're the dark witch or something like that, yeah. Uh, Scarlet No More, or I, I can't remember what it was. Um, but where, where her she discovers that her children are not real and, a, and a, a product, you know, and and that, and and also House of M, mm-hmm. you know, and the, famously the end of House of M, you know, what had had Scarlet Witch and 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 counting no more mutants and wiping out all but 198 mutants from the, the face of the planet. You know, so and House of M, the story had, you know, Pietro had manipulated Wanda, you know, to use her reality warping skills in order to create the the reality that their father Magneto wanted. You know what I mean? This 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 reality where the mutants were ascended, and that ended with no more mutants. So, I wonder if you invert that, does this end with Scarlet Witch effectively going? Creating, some mutants yeah, more mutants, mutants yeah exactly so are they, are they going to turn it on its head so so yeah there's there's so much going on i mean wanda clearly is uh, you know had had him has had a mental break i think you know she was she was right probably in and stealing vision's body because vision had left a, a a will saying that he didn't want to be made into a weapon which was what um uh what do you call him uh uh is it Jimmy Jimmy Wu? Mm-hmm. Agent uh, from Wu. yeah, from Agents of Atlas. <laughs> you know, he's the he's the leader of the Agents of Atlas group. This is another group we haven't seen in, in the MCU yet. So, you know, so she she she. I don't know. It, it, obviously, we know what happened. Vision Vision was di- died at the end of Infinity uh, Infinity War, and she's taken his body back. They were using it. They were going to use it to maybe create a weapon or something. You know, she's taken it into this anomaly that she's created. To, to live this 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 life where her lover is alive and they can live this normal life which she sees as the American you know TV life um, you know but is there is there someone else in there controlling it because you know she whenever what you might call her Agnes is it Agnes the friend mm-hmm. yeah the uh, yeah whenever in that last episode she she was she was terrified that she'd got her lines wrong and and broke character. You know what I mean, and and Vision didn't understand it, but but Wanda did. But clearly, Wanda was not expecting who landed at the door at the end of the last episode. So she's not in complete control, or if she is in complete control, she's doing it subconsciously and without knowing. Or there's another side to her that she's not aware of, or there's or there is someone else in there that's manipulating events. You know, in which case, I don't know. It's 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 really exciting. I think 
you know it's really it's really interesting and it has a, a lot of ramifications uh for 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 where we're going well of course my question now becomes uh what night does it actually get shown in disney plus friday friday cool i'll jump on it straight away just to keep so i i, I normally wake up with every intention of watching it before i go to work and then i'm like nope so what i'll do is i'll come into work 12 o'clock fly home straight upstairs watch it and back to work not even say hello to anybody as you yeah. zip into the house like can't go one division yep uh, tends to be a, tends to be sunday viewing for me sunday cool probably be saturday night viewing i would say for us or friday night viewing but yeah if i had to guess at someone coming into it the person that would blow your mind but i don't think there's any logical way for them to come into it is hugh jackman somehow yep. as wolverine but a more a more measured guess might be scott lang coming into it and paul rudd somehow the ant-man connection with agent Wu, and maybe with him being able to shrink himself there's some way he can infiltrate you know mm. everything one is set up but i think if there's going to be a as you say a triple a level cameo that's going to like rival you know the best of them i think it has to be someone massive like cap or god forbid tony stark somehow See, even, even that for me isn't it isn't triple a that would be like a B, you know. It's it, these are characters we last seen. Captain two America years is ago. a triple A character. I'll yeah. have, you know. I mean, I I think it would be a waste <laughs> for them for them not to use it to introduce something like yeah. the Fantastic Four or the the mutants into the into the the MCU. Yeah. So and I mean that that the inclusion of the character at the end of Episode Five was definitely a obviously a very direct reference to that. Yeah. You know what I mean. No, that's fair. The direct reference to, to the mutants being owned by Fox, Fox now being owned by Disney. Well, hey, Xavier would be a good choice, I think, as well, because you're you're going to have essentially the leader of the mutants, and if you're going to have someone introduce them into this universe, I suppose, then you know we Patrick Stewart cameo in there. But who knows? But I am very much looking forward to the rest of it. As I say, I don't I don't mean to come across as negative on it. I do think it is very good. I just personally didn't think it's quite deserving of that level of hype. I think someone said it was the best TV show ever, and I'm like, calm down, mm, calm down. Yeah, yeah, no, it was. It's uh, you don't have to not, throw things clear, like that when it's halfway yeah. through. You know, just, just no, definitely, definitely. I mean, down. I can I can safely say that because I'm on season two of The Wire. Yeah, you know, which is of course the best TV show ever. Well, you know, that's another other <laughs> conversation that we're not about to have uh, because Paddy will fall down a uh, a lost tumbleweed. <clears> I would yep. say, and for me, it's Twin Peaks. So there you go. <laughs> but yeah, so. Speaking of Marvel television, of course, there was a trailer dropped during the Super Bowl. Usually the Super Bowl every year. I personally couldn't care less about the game. American football means nothing to me. But you usually get loads of cool trailers because the eyes of the world are on the Super Bowl. Obviously, with cinemas being what they are at the moment, there wasn't a lot of big movie reveals. But there was a rather great trailer for Falcon Winter Soldier. Now, this just looks like it slots effortlessly into the MCU. You know, it, you know, you had Baron Zemo in there. You had Sam Wilson you know you had bucky i think this looked awesome like give me this now just hook this to my veins i have to say <laughs> yeah i agree 100 percent. it was my highlight trailer from the the disney announcements they done about six seven months ago and i think the second trailer just absolutely hyped it even more for me it's i can't wait it's up next isn't it after one division yeah, so for me anyway, March 18th and March 19th are going to be two great days in a row because March 18th, the Snyder Cut drops and March 19th, Falcon Winter Soldier starts. So mm. that DC Marvel rivalry is never going to disappear, is it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah though I think, it's, I think it's less of a, you know, a DC Marvel rivalry and more of a, a Snyder Marvel rivalry. 
Oh God, you're gonna start, aren't you? <laughs> right, I'm gonna move swiftly on. Move swiftly on. No, I'm looking. I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to both. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing Zemo take on his his, uh, his you know put his purple persona. sock on his yeah. face and, and and take on his actual persona. But I don't know that I get too much more out of it. Obviously, it's a it's a it's a bit of a buddy movie, you know, buddy cop sort of dealio. There's a wee bit of uh, rivalry between the two of them. Um, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what the the crack is. That is that Begilia is the city we see in it. Um, you know, in the trailer, is that Begilia, the supervillain sort of city that uh, that Zemo ruled for some time? Or I don't. I just don't know what's going on at all. Yeah, um, I think it was just that really good miniseries recently. Derek Landy wrote Falcon Winter Soldier. Just that buddy cop sort of aesthetic almost to it. I just think it looks great. And those guys, you know, they've got chemistry to burn. So I think mm-hmm, it'll work mm-hmm. really well. So, uh, yeah, really, really looking forward to Falcon Winter Soldier kicking off, although sadly that will mean the end of WandaVision because they, they do have this model, don't they? It's one show at yeah. a time. Yeah. Uh, they, they, this is whenever WandaVision started, assuming all goes to plan, this will be like Marvel releasing something every week for the next so many years, mm-hmm. uh, you know, between TV shows and TV shows and movies and all of that sort of stuff. So, uh, so yeah, interesting, interesting yeah, I stuff. I mean, that's a. That. Hmm? Definitely Can indeed. So, yeah. So that's uh, that'll be the end of all of our spoilers for One Division and so forth. So if you're just joining us again after all of those spoilers, welcome back. Yeah, just a few other bits and bobs we just thought we'd have a quick chat about. There was quite a lot of controversy this week, actually. You know, just talking about Marvel with uh, the release of Immortal Hulk number forty-three. So Immortal Hulk's been a long-running series, Al Ewing scripted, predominantly Joe Bennett on art, and it has been critically acclaimed it's been commercially successful but it was at the the back end of some controversy this week as when you get a couple of pages into it there's a little scene set in what looks to be a sort of a jeweler's or a pawn shop and you can actually just see in the background a weird looking almost star of david and it's also spelt jewelry wrong and it looks like jewelry this was a bit strange but holy moly did twitter not that that's the a reliable indicator for anything but Twitter just absolutely went nuts over this. I mean, what 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 are Marvel trying to put upon us here, Keith? What what psychic? What subliminal messages are they trying to hit us with? Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. There was there was that contra- controversy a few years ago with the, you know, the new the first issue of X Men Gold or whatever it was with the right, you know yeah. anti anti. Uh, I think it was anti Muslim art that they there the was a number or something wasn't there there yeah, was a number there was that something means... along that and then there was there's there's been some some i mean across both both big companies there's been a number of different things but okay, i don't know it's i mean this is it's a great it's a great issue it's another fantastic issue of immortal hulk you know the the ufos feature which is great it focus on focuses on on joe fix it and and just nearly takes a wee bit of a slow turn we see how, how joe fix it earns his money but it's just annoying that that controversy has has taken away from it. And I don't know, I don't know what. Obviously, obviously, any sort of deliberate anti-Semitic imagery is is absolutely unacceptable. And you know, Joe Bennett has said what he what he has done was was a was absolutely a careless a careless accident. You know, he was he was trying to pepper in a, a reference to um, uh, Cronenberg. The mm. director, yeah, because uh, you know the horror director, he's, he's, he, he has peppered in a lot of different references in the background throughout the series because this is very much a body horror series, you know, is, is a high big element of it. But I don't know, he, 
he obviously takes a lot of care with the other details in the book and there are several other references throughout the issue but you know the the the, the miss he's misspelled Cronenberg he's misspelled jury that inclusion of the 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 Jewish star, the star David, just seems really on—I don't know—unnecessary. I mean, I'm willing to sort of give the benefit of the doubt. I don't understand how, why someone who is 43 issues into a 50 run, 50 issue run, you know, would turn around and, and screw over his own career and everybody else involved in the book. Because you know, I, I just don't understand. I don't get it. There's yeah, other, there's it. other ways if you if you feel you need to get your your weird message across, you know, but if that's the case, and he says it's not the case, he says it was an honest mistake, he misspelled Cronenberg, he misspelled Jewelry, but then the star of David's right there in your face, and you're like, what the hell? You know, so it's, I don't know, I don't know. Yeah, um, there's a little bit of why put yourself in that position, I suppose, but if it was a genuine mistake, it's a genuine mistake that uh, speculators, of course, have jumped on because, you know, this issue, as, you know, we, we talk about the secondary market often, but... You know, I put two issues of this up on the website and it lasted 11 minutes and they were sold to someone over in Manchester. You know, clearly clearly these guys are sitting at computers searching comic websites and where there are available issues and so forth. And obviously we'll always sell everything at cover price, you know, and, and, it's, and it's released. So, yeah, it's, as you say, I mean, I, I don't really see the... I don't really see the logic in it if you're trying to make a statement or imbue your beliefs in some way and to do it in such a weirdly subtle way. You know, so mm-hmm. yeah, or whether you're just leaving yourself that out, I suppose, of going, oh no, 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 it's a mistake. But as you say, it's it's a shame that it detracts from what is a ridiculously great book and a very, very consistent book that's unfortunately nearing its end. As I believe, fifty is the the planned mm. ending for that. So Still believe, but this was yeah, this was a great issue. This was a fantastic issue, and you know, Al Ewing always brings his A game to the table here, and and Joe Bennett always brings his A game to the table you know so uh, it's just it, i mean this this book is staying massively strong as it heads towards as it heads towards its, its final issues it's just it's just a, and i'm always glad to see the ufos one of the first one of the first comics i ever randomly got was a god i think it was a thor comic and thor was fighting the ufos who are like a a marvel evil version of the fantastic four uh, is how they were created you know and uh, so it was great to it was great to see the ufos and Henry Peter Garrick setting the uh, setting the UFOs against um, against the Hulk, uh, great stuff. Apart from from odd controversy, and what we can also surmise from that mini review is that it's not quite your pick of the week. But we'll get on to that <laughs> soon enough. But, but yeah, and sort of slightly brighter news. I mean, obviously we do a monthly previews podcast, and we'll go into this in more detail when we hit the May previews. But a couple of new titles were announced this week that just certainly got me very excited. We. I keep talking as much as possible to anyone who'll listen to me how great work how great the work Chip Zdarsky's doing at the moment. He's continuing with another DC title. He's going to be doing a Justice League title, which is called Justice League La- The Last Ride. And this is going to be released... DC are starting to do this thing called Digital First. They've done it with a few titles so far. But what it essentially is is that it'll come out in digital form first, uh, maybe a month before it hits print form. But the thing with the digital issues is that they're not as long as your traditional comic issue. So this is actually going to be by Chip Zdarsky writing Miguel Mendonca drawing. But you're going to have Derek Robertson covers there as well. So I think this looks great. So once the Justice League was the most powerful collection of superheroes in the universe, but an unthinkable tragedy within its ranks has caused Batman, Superman and Wonder Woman to go their separate ways, leaving the League broken and disbanded under a veil of anger and mistrust. 
Now against the backdrop of the universe's greatest murder trial, can the League reconcile the past before they're eradicated by the greatest villains in the cosmos? So yeah, just gives Zdarsky all the work. I I, I keep saying it, <laughs> you know. So and it, and it kind of sounds like a little bit of an Elseworlds tale. So you know, this will probably be released through DC Black Label. I would I would imagine, but definitely one to keep an eye out for. As I say, it's hitting in May the eleventh for the print issue, but it's going to hit digital first, just in case digital comics are your preference. Uh, it's going to be hitting on April fourteenth, so uh, you get that about a month in advance, but. As excited as I am about that, I'm sure, Keith, you are more excited about the other big one that was uh, the news was released on this week. Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously, there's a there's a Zdarsky link here as well, because uh, he uh, he penned the original Spider-Man life story alongside uh, Mark Bagley, which is a book that we thoroughly enjoyed. I suppose it was over a year ago now, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, um, my favorite thing about Spider-Man life story is that I left Keith in charge of the store one day. Uh, I think Vicky and I were over in England. Um, what graphic novel did he sell more of than any other that day? Spider-Man Life Story. <laughs> That's a good book. It's a good book. So, uh, yeah, we're looking at, uh, at uh, I guess, a, a follow-up to that in uh, Fantastic Four Life Story. Um, it looks like it's a, a great creative team on that. That's Mark Russell. Mark Russell, yes, indeed. So, writer of Second Coming and wonder twins recently for dc mm-hmm. so and, and then the art i mean if this if it, the artists are good as well because there was a really great marvel title I, i'm pretty sure we both enjoyed recently avengers no road home and that mm-hmm. was the artist from that which is sean isaacs is doing the art for fantastic ah. life story no i mean i, I mean the, the, the gist of spider-man life story was it was a an issue by issue journey through through peter parker's life but removing the, the 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 concept of of elastic time so you know if, oh, if peter copyright keith miller yeah <laughs> you know if, if peter was a 16 year old in 1964 he was he was 26 in the, the mid 70s he was 36 in the mid 80s you know blah 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 right up to to present day when he's 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 sitting you know you know in his 70s or whatever and uh and he's lived a lived a full life and it follows him through that life, the effects that that age has on him, as as characters age around him, as as Aunt May, who you know is eternally an older woman, sometimes younger than old, sometimes older than old. In the comic, you know, in the in the Spider Man books, you know, as she ages and and becomes, you know, she 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 sort of starts to to lose her mind a bit, you know, and uh, and uh, all the people around him are aging. So it was just it was it was I guess bittersweet in a lot of ways. Uh, to see that and, and to you know so I think that's the same concept here really isn't it Alan? Yeah absolutely so it's going to kick off in the swinging 60s as Reed, Ben, Sue and Johnny journey into outer space only to come crashing back to Earth as Mr. Fantastic, The Thing, Invisible Woman and the Human Torch. From there their lives will be cast against the backdrop of the Cold War and the space race after the accident that bestows their powers upon them also saddles them with the secret that forever binds them to Earth's history as the Fantastic Four. So same again there, it's it's going to be set against real life historical events, it's going to work in uh, classic story arcs from the Fantastic Four's history, and I think it's going to be them aging through it as well. So that was one of the, the real unique things about Spider-Man life story, you know, you, you still touched upon the clone saga, you still touched upon the symbiote, you still touched upon all these big Spider-Man touchstones, but it's just Peter was aging through the story, so... Just, uh, again, a great book, and it's become such a staple of the store. Always in stock, 
always recommended and and a great one-off as well to read you'll get more from it if you you know some of the stories but certainly i got you know slightly educated by keith through it sometimes because his knowledge is certainly deeper than mine for spidey so but it just reads as a, as a great book on its own uh independent of that so yeah really really looking forward to that um i see that uh you've thrown a little thing in our in our notes no love for tenant at the golden globes what's yeah, that about golden Globe, no. once again once again hollywood and its crap taste and what it wants to reward yeah, Golden Globe nominations come out this week, and normally I skim over films at the Golden Globes. For me, it's a big TV thing. You know, the Oscars is what everybody wants to win in terms of the Golden Globes. But somehow, Tenant, I think, only got one nomination. It was for Soundtrack sound or music. Yeah. I mean, absolutely baffling. Yeah, I had a look at the, the films that have been nominated for Best Motion, Motion Picture, and I've seen one of the five. You know, it hasn't been a great year for film, but... You know, there's two on there I hadn't heard of. The Father and Promising Young Woman. The Trial of the Chicago 7 was a Netflix movie, which I thought was... That was Aaron Sorkin. was all right. Yeah, yeah uh-huh. you know, it wasn't it wasn't award-winning. It was it was a decent watch. Slightly put off as well, I think, by Sasha Baron Cohen. Just seeing him in a serious role, I couldn't really, couldn't really take him serious. But the Golden Globes is a strange one for me because if you skim down, you have a look at the... But they've best TV series. They split up in the two, so it's best TV series drama and then best TV series musical or comedy. There's a TV show called The Flight Attendant that has uh, Kelly Cuckoo from the, the Big Penny from The Big Bang Theory. It's a pretty serious show. She's a flight attendant. Uh, someone's found dead, and in her hotel room, she wakes up, tries to solve kind of what was going on, and for some reason, they've nominated it as a musical or comedy. It's almost like they haven't watched it and went, well, Keely Cuckoo's in it, so it's yes. probably a comedy. There was a film as well a couple of years ago, I think it caught up in the same controversy. I can't remember what it was, but it was nominated for Best Musical or Comedy, but it was like a properly serious film. It's just, yeah, some things don't make sense. And uh, I think not just ignoring Tennant for Best Picture, but some of the performances in Tennant, you know, uh, Robert Pattinson and Denzel Son. Just you can't you can't overlook them. Yeah, I mean, it, to be honest, I think the Oscars, the Golden Globes, and all those award ceremonies should have, should have taken a leaf out of the Coffee and Heroes podcast this year. And if they missed a week, just amalgamated in those two weeks in the one. <laughs> in the last year of movie releases is pointless. Let's be honest. There's been good stuff there. Don't get me wrong. Of course, there has. But, you know, there's nowhere near the same level of excellence due to, you know, the worldwide situation at the moment. So I personally think they should have just skipped it all this year. But Hollywood loves to pat itself on the back as if they're, you know, moving through the pandemic at full strength. So, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't put an awful lot of stake in award shows anyway. Like, I mean, they're exactly that. They're looking for a very different thing, I think, mostly than, than actual people watching the shows are. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed the trial of Chicago 7. I thought it was it, it was definitely a, a decent movie. I would have probably, for me personally, rated it higher than Tenet. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I absolutely agree. You couldn't look past Robert Pattinson and and, and Tenet as as best actor. Uh, I would have said uh, he was he was a phenomenal. I think what sums it up is the Borat sequel is nominated for best motion picture, which is a musical or comedy. Yeah, that's probably just been done just to wind up Donald Trump though and his advisors. So <laughs> let's be honest. So, but yeah, though we'll just finish off sort of the news cycle just with a, a couple of little store updates. So, 
you know you if you're listening to this you probably watch the youtube stuff as well but i'm going with a new format now we're going to be releasing the youtube stuff on a tuesday it just allows me to have the delivery in place have copies of books in hand so i can certainly recommend stuff because as we all know or if you've listened to me before diamond are not always the most reliable with making sure everything from my invoice arrives to me through my delivery so i just think really? it's a better I, yeah but you know <laughs> just throw a pin at all the previous podcasts there'll probably be a mention of it in there somewhere but yeah it just seems like a better way of doing it i can show you what's the hand show you what's on my pull list that kind of thing gives me more time to read through my books through the week as well but a couple of really cool things set up in the next week or two as well for you know hopefully we're getting to a point in the next month couple of months whatever where we can reopen but we are really working hard behind the scenes getting the store to just be even better and in the next week and a half i've got a massive lot of batman comics coming over from england over a thousand issues going back to the 60s onwards that uh, a family member at uh, vicky's cousin charlotte was kind enough to pick up for us and store in her house for a couple of months but they're actually being picked up tomorrow and should be with us saturday maybe monday so, and how many of those are going to make it out of the store? Uh, nearly all of them. The, to be honest, there's only, <laughs> I think we counted 11 issues that I need from the 60s. Um, so a lot of this is coming in the store. There's going to be complete runs. There's going to be iconic issues. Uh, there, there's going to be a lot of cool stuff there. And I'm sure I'll, again, throw a YouTube video up for it. But I've also got a, a massive order of merch coming as well. So we've organized a lot of new statues to come in, new figures, we, we've even went down the there's, there's sort of cheaper things coming in that are cool things like venom money banks and you know things like that so we, we, we're really trying our best to make sure we cater for as many people as possible when we reopen there's a brand new kids section being done in the corner or as i call it young readers section and yeah we're just really working hard behind the scenes like we want to make sure when we open that door that you know the store is the best that it can possibly be so um, just keep an eye on all the social media stuff. I'll keep you guys updated. Oh, I thoroughly enjoyed the. Uh, sorry, go ahead, Patty, go ahead. Ahead. No, I was just going to say I was I was slightly disappointed, Alan, when you changed the the YouTube video to a Tuesday. You know, it, it was my tradition on a Sunday to have my Sunday dinner, go up, cast the the video to the TV while I do my ironing. That's so, fine. You can wait from the Tuesday drop until <laughs> the Sunday to do that. Whereas Keith seems yeah. to be on the opposite end. He's like Tuesday's the way to go. Oh uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the, the your new your new format and your new surety of not having to just use your your yeah. flipping, you know your your document yeah. rather that you were you, you actually have things in your hands. You know that's always uh, and I think it's going to have a really great uh, impact on the website and, and you know all of that sort of stuff. I was sort of looking for some. Uh, I thought you were going to throw in some sneak preview footage of the of the store but uh you know just to just to, to lighten our hearts but it's getting uh, there it's getting there okay all right maybe in the so, next so. week or so we'll <laughs> see i take requests i take requests so yeah so that's going to do it pretty much for sort of our news and announcements and all that kind of stuff so we're here to review some comics so we're going to be moving on to as i say releases that came out on the 3rd of february uh 2021 as ever we'll always start with our, our totals for the week so this was a big week for me uh, that's not even counting variants because the number would actually frighten you if I threw it out there. But I had 28 titles this week and quite a heavy indie week. So indie was my top one with 12 issues. And then for the big two, I had nine Marvel and seven DC. Uh, what were your numbers this week, Paddy? Firstly, I would like to know how many variants you had in total. You don't want to know. 
I had 14 titles. I had four DC, six Marvel, and four indie. Perfect symmetry there. And how about yourself, Keith? I had 22 titles. It was a wee bit of a, a Marvel-heavy week again this week. Uh, five DC, eleven Marvel, six indie. Uh, normally a wee bit more, a wee bit more balanced than that. Um, but there you go. Well, it's certainly interesting that uh, normally between me and Keith, there's always that magical number two. Either I have two more, or he has two more. But this was a this was a different week. Yeah, I went I went heavy in the indie stuff this week because there was a lot of brand new number ones. There was uh, some new stuff from Dark Horse. There was new stuff from Image. There was new stuff from AWA. There was just a lot of stuff I was really really looking forward to. Uh, my DC and Marvel numbers at the moment are pretty much dominated by I'm reading all the future state. So that's where my DC numbers pretty much come from. And with Marvel, I'm collecting all the Keenan Black times. So that's where the Marvel numbers come from. So, yeah, it'll be an interesting one when we get into it because no DC titles have made it onto our picks of the week from the three. This is becoming a worrying trend. But mm. uh, I'll, I'll certainly throw out a few honorable mentions for DC this week. As I say, I've been chatting about Future State a lot. And I'll throw out one that I personally really enjoyed. And I think you would have read as well, Patty which was a bit of a surprise, which was Future State Harley Quinn, which I thought was a really surprising little two-issuer, uh, written by Stephanie Phillips, who's going to be taking on Harley Quinn once Future State is over. And the reason it stuck out for me was the art by Simone DeMeo, who is the artist on We Only Find Them When They're Dead. And the story at its core is essentially following Harley, still towing that line between being a good guy and being a bad guy. And she teams up with a version of Jonathan Crane in Future State, to go after Black Mask, and I just thought this was a really cool diversionary two-issue, you know, set in that future state, and I thought the art in it was fantastic, so um, you got reading it yourself, didn't you, Patty? Yeah, it took me completely by surprise. Harley Quinn's one of them characters that I think over the last six months has become really, really strong, you know, from from Tinian's Batman, the, the HBO Max Harley Quinn cartoon, and now this future state, yeah, the art, as you said, stood out really for me. I love the way the, the Drew Harley, you know, she almost had that innocent childlike face. You know, just not childlike, more like a, a teenager, you know. Yeah. But yeah, for me, I, I'm only on the, the Bat family on Future State, minus Robin Eternal, I think. And I've really enjoyed it so far. Well, outside of that, the other Future State one that definitely deserves a bit of love, I know it was something you really enjoyed as well, Keith, was... Essentially, this is almost like the audition, I suppose, for a Swamp mm, Thing miniseries. Yeah. And uh, the the team on this is really strong. So Future State Swamp Thing number two came out this week. You have Ram V writing and Mike Perkins, whose work we've certainly enjoyed in the last year or so, last couple of years, um, on art as well. So this was very close, and I don't want to blow smoke up its ass too much, but this was very close to the Alan Moore stuff. This was really lyrical. Uh, yeah, really I mean, I, yep, it was, I mean, I think it, it was, I think they used them in what they had 44 pages for two issues, mm -hmm. and I think they used them very, very well, very uh, atmospheric, you know, and I know you say hopeful, but, you know, it was, it was definitely a, like a sad story, uh, you know, it was, it was, there was a lot of misery in it. Uh, but I think there was a lot of hope at the end, mm -hmm. uh, which is exactly where hope needs to be. Um, so, I mean, I know I really, I really enjoyed it. Um, it's got me really, really uh, buzzing for this team on the the, the Swamp Thing uh, mini, well, it's a maxi series, I guess. It's 12 issues, 10 or 12 issues. I think it's 10 issues. Um, 
that's uh, that's fallen on from this. So yeah, it was it was great, and it was you know a wee exploration of you know what what makes us what makes us human, I guess. You know, when that swamp thing had created a race to mimic humans, given the lack of humanity, you know, on yeah. on the earth, and I think I think it definitely benefited a wee bit from. This was very much removed from the other future state titles. It seems to be much further in the future. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, so and I think it benefited from that as well. Um, Mike Perkins' art was just was just lovely, uh, just absolutely fantastic. Um, yeah, I really I really enjoy this. You know, the 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 notion that you know Swamp Thing could create everything except the soul, and and just that conclusion that all of the the individuals that he had created were were only aspects of his own personality or his own his own uh, desires or wants or fears. Um, yeah, it was it was great. I I think this is kind of up there with for me with the, the best of Future State. I mean, Dark Detectives up there. Next Batman, I'm humming and hanging about. I'm just not sure where I'm at with it. It's not as strong as Dark Detective. Superman and Metropolis was meh. I don't know if you've read that, have you? Yeah. Um, I thought the first issue was, was grand. I haven't read issue two yet, but yeah, I yeah. the first the two, issue was, was good enough. The two issues didn't that just didn't do it for me. And I, I love John Kent as a character, I really do. Um, as you know from Bendis' run. Uh the Flash was kind of meh as well. Um, but this this was really Swamp Thing was really up there. Big stay. Big stay. I mean I, I enjoyed the next Batman issue three, which was also this week, but I very much enjoyed the next Batman story. I wasn't massively sold on the Outsiders and the Arkham Knight story. That's what it was. You That's know, why. Yeah. The thing with mm-hmm. Dark Detective is it's always had really strong backup stories. You know, Rosenberg doing Grifter and stuff mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. What I found certainly with issue three, and I, did, I didn't really find it with the first two issues because they were setup issues, I suppose. But I found I loved the next Batman part by John Ridley. And yeah. then the Arkham Knights and Outsiders, I could very much take or leave. I, I felt a bit more of a you're trek right. to get yeah. through it, you know? I think you're right, absolutely. I tell you, the other thing I enjoyed about the Swamp Thing is the, the almost Hickman-like, uh, you know, information sort of sections where uh, where Swamp Thing was telling you about how he created yeah. the, the, the humanoid plant-like creatures, you know? So very interesting. Yeah, great stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much it sort of DC-wise from this week. Outside of Future State, they're not really releasing an awful lot. Uh, there are some titles certainly on the way in the next week or so that will be outside of that, but it'll certainly be uh, getting going again in March when all the, the main titles come back, so to speak. You know, in terms of Marvel this week, there was, there was a lot of strength here. Uh, I have to say that the Venom tie-in for Keenan Black, number 33, I thought it was really, really strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it certainly introduced a couple of... You know, you had Agent Venom in here. You had some great stuff, certainly with Spider-Man, you know, talking with Dylan and everything that's happening sort of in the outside world uh, with that, which I thought was really, really good. I thought the art was really, really strong in this. (laughs) That's exactly what I was about to say. There's a two-page spread there with Dylan stripping the the symbiote off cap, and it's just outstanding. Yeah, I mean, uh, the the art's uh, Iban Coelho. Yeah. on it who's stepping in for ryan stegman while stegman is on the the main uh king and black series but yeah i just the, the art was absolutely just an absolute joy to behold and you know i love that you know the 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 background story is that you know uh eddie's body is is dead i guess and his 
his, I guess, his soul, for, for want of a better word, through the Codex, is embedded in the Hive, and in that Hive he's met the the, the Codex remains of Rex Strickland and of uh, Flash Thompson, Agent Venom, previous uh, wearers of, uh, the previous wearer of the Venom symbiote, uh, and he's, you know, teaming up with them to, uh, to try and figure out what they can do as non-corporeal dead individuals within the hive and what they come up with is class oh yeah <laughs> like the concept of the concept that you know these these other uh symbiotes have been removed from the control of the hive and they've been if they can free them then they can they can take control of them and you know in the outside world so i just i thought that was i thought that was great and we you know obviously uh isn't it no uh rex or no it's uh flash Agent Venom manages to take control of one of the symbiotes and then erupts into the outside world as a as a an Agent Venom covered uh, you know symbiote dragon. I was like, oh, this is this is awesome, and it it throws up all sorts of possibilities. You know, does does Eddie continue to exist as Venom despite the fact he's dead? With you know, as 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 Venom who is symbiote alone, mm-hmm. you know, controlled by Eddie's Codex consciousness or or whatever. There's all sorts of interesting possibilities there. I just thought it was really, really clever. And then, you know, the end where we, we see him again repeating the uh, repeating the same Mistakes. demise that, uh, you know, he suffered at the end of uh, King and Black 1. Yeah, great stuff. Really, really good stuff. There's there's something a wee bit Matrix-y about it, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I certainly got that with all the pods, with the symbiotes in it and all that kind of stuff. And, the, you know, the, the Null being able to inhabit other bodies or other codexes yeah, the way the agents would. almost like agent smith could yeah so there's there's some stuff there but yeah i really enjoyed it the background colors and the the the, the graphics in the hive were class and then whenever dylan was freeing cap and all the other avengers using his powers as they you know their their uh, resemblances disappeared within the hive was just just getting get sort of getting under the hood of the hive i guess in a way and really nice as well that part where Dylan's actually holding Cap Shield as well, you know, as he. I think that'll Cap make away. a great poster. You know, yeah. that, that's that. There's so much going on. You've got Thor in the background, Spider Man, Wolverine, Blade. Is that Neymar? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's awesome. Fantastic. Yeah, just really, yeah. really strong issue. I mean, Venom for me has, has been essential to Keenan Black. You know, it's it's very much. Adding depth to that story, letting you know what's going on with Eddie and so forth. Obviously, I spoke very highly about Daredevil, Keenan Black as well, being a really, really good uh, tie-in as well. But I would actually class Venom in this case as essential, not just adding texture and layers to it, but essential. So, uh, yeah, really, really strong issue. But I suppose while we're in uh, Keenan Black corner, why don't we go to our first pick of the week then? Uh, I'm sure you can all guess whose pick of the week is a Marvel one. Why don't you take it away with your Keenan Black inspired pick of the week? Well, uh, my pick, I guess, is I. I mean, I know we were talking last week about Daredevil potentially being the uh, you know the best tie-in, King and Black tie-in so far, but I'm I'm going to disagree with you based on this release this week. I think it's been I think it's been been co-opted by uh, King and Black Black Knight. Uh, the, it's a one-shot by. Uh, Cy Spurrier, uh, most recently of Hellblazer, uh, Hellblazer fame, John Constantine Hellblazer, and uh, Jesus uh, Saez, uh, who certainly for Marvel is known for uh, the, the Star Wars series uh, with uh, with Charles Soule. Uh, he was on recently featured in King Size Conan, 
uh, and a few other bits and pieces. Um, so and uh, and uh, there was some work. I did some work on Doctor Strange as well. So yeah, this I I just really really enjoyed this. This was a really great well, a really great example of uh, you know a one shot being a, a tie-in to, to King and Black, but very much being its own thing as well. Uh, I really enjoyed this. I mean, to be fair, it, it probably could have... The Big Bad probably could have been anything, but the, there's there's a few cross-links that just make it really worthwhile. So, I mean, uh, you guys familiar with The Black Knight? Yeah, I know the story. I had absolutely no idea who he was. I started reading this issue, and I'm like, oh, so is this going to be ye, ye old English? The whole way through it. But yeah, yeah, you know what, Keith? I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, it's the the Black Knight has a wee bit of I mean, the Black Knight's about to become much more familiar to a lot of people because Kit Harrington uh, is going to be playing him in the Eternals, oh. uh, and he's got a he's got a strong link uh, in, in in his comic life to the Eternals, so that's interesting. So, yeah, I mean, effectively, uh, Dean Whitman he's a he's a scientist, he's a, a scientist from New England, and a smart smart guy. His Ancestor was the first Black Knight, Sir Percy of Scandia, during the reign of, of King Arthur, uh, murdered by Mordred, and that began a, a, a string of uh, successors who were all the Black Knight, you know, and they were Percy's descendant. Dane's uncle was Nathan Garrett, who became the supervillain Black Knight. He was wounded in a battle with Iron Man, and before he died, he confessed all his crimes to Dane and asked him to restore their family's honour by becoming the Black Knight, and and give him the weapons to do so a whole lot of you know he's had a whole lot of adventures over the years um significantly he is uh cersei who is one of the eternals he's her um lover but more than that he's linked to her through a process called uh gan josen uh he linked to her in order to stop a a disease and that ended up sort of mentally destabilizing Dean a wee bit so that's the link to the eternals there just a wee uh, I guess a wee, a wee fact for, for upcoming Avengers movies or, uh, or MCU movies. But anyway, um, Dean is the, as the Black Knight is the owner of, is the wielder of the Ebony Blade. And the Ebony Blade is a cursed blade, which whenever it draws blood, it, it continues to drive the, the, you know, the, the owner into further bloodlust and, and, and insanity. So, you know, I think, they, they've always toyed with that. It's always been central to his character. He's been through Heroes for Hire and Excalibur and MI-13. He was a part of Original Sin. And and it was during Original Sin that, I mean, whenever he was in the Avengers, he was the Avengers chairman at a time. Uh, he was So he was really in the, I guess, in the, in the early 90s, he was very much involved with the Avengers and, and, and was central to them. He was involved with a team called Euroforce, who are European superheroes. And... He was passed over, I guess, for Avengers membership and Cap's new team during Original Sin because of his deteriorating mental state. And uh, the last time we saw him was during Empire, and he told Captain America they'd been focused on becoming a hero again after fighting giants and dark elves and and so forth and so on. So this is the first we've seen him. We've seen him again. He was in uh, Peter David's most recent King and Black symbiote Spider-Man series, uh, which is set back in the back in the eighties. Uh, whenever Captain, you know Captain Marvel, Monica Rambeau, she's in there, and and uh, Black Knight's in there. But this is this is a real, I don't know, it's a real exploration of of uh, I guess Dean Whitman and where he's at at the minute. And it's 
it's a teaser for the series that Sice Barrier has coming out very, very shortly, which is uh, Black Knight, Curse of the Ebony Blade, which I'm really looking forward to. So, so this uh, this this particular story has the the Black Knight, you know, in the middle of King and Black. Null has making a ferocious assault upon upon the Earth, as we know, and Dean Whitman, you know. He, wielder of the ebony blade, he takes up the sword and shield to defend against the coming onslaught. And we know that the blade grants him, you know, power, but it also consumes him with a lust for violence and destruction. And it just, it's, 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 it's a great book. It, you know, the, the, the ebony blade is almost like nearly like a parasite, nearly like a symbiote to, to Dane. You know, it gives him power, but it takes away. So, you know, that's where I see the link to, to King and Black being, but, I mean, from start to finish, Jesus Saez's art is gorgeous. It is really lovely, really detailed. From the very, very start with Dean hanging onto the back of the symbiote dragon and trying to <laughs> take it down and then, you know, falling. And, and then we, we flash back. And as you say, there's that, the old English, uh, he has that old English way of, of narrating the story. And it's it's narrated in what looked like torn pages of a storybook or whatever, you know, in, the, in those uh, text boxes. But we there's a real meta later on there's a real meta reference to that one of the other characters says oh yeah we heard you started talking like that and it's almost like dean and his in his quest to try and re-exert himself and become the hero he is 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 adding these flourishes you know this this way of talking about himself and narrating his own adventures in order to make himself feel more heroic you know what i mean there's a real lack of confidence betrayed there and uh, the way his his ghostly ancestor percy of scandia talks to him whenever he uh, you know, at the very, very start, whenever he's trying, he's, he's like, move, slug a bed. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's pure. He's calling him a lazy bastard, effectively. And he's, so this this ghost is really down on him. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's got the inclusion of uh, Arrow and Swordmaster, who are uh, a couple of heroes who appeared in Agents of Atlas, wasn't it? Where they were they were most recently created. And, you know, at some point, Dane is, is really... He's sort of nearly at rock bottom, I and mean, you've you've got to consider him as a he's an addict. Nearly, he's almost when it comes to the sword, he's he knows it's bad for him, but he can't do without it. Uh, he and and throughout the story, he really needs it. And at one point, you know, whenever he's he's fallen from the dragon, you know, he, he throws up all over his breastplate because he's so scared, you know. And there's just there's all sorts of, I guess, connections there and and, and inferences. Um, they keep referring to him as Avengers adjacent. He's not quite an Avenger. He's Avengers adjacent, along with uh, these other new heroes. So I was just, I don't know. I, I've always had a soft spot for the Black Knight. Um, I just thought this was a fantastic one shot. You know, it's really, it really delves into the, the psyche of, of a, I guess he's now a lesser known former Avenger, a real, a real hero of the late 80s and 90s. Um, it's, it's really wetted my palate for what's coming up. I don't think, people who are fans of of king and black or of the black knight or of size barrier's writing or of generally marvel comics in general will be disappointed by this issue as i say the writing is is absolutely phenomenal the the art is just great i mean spurrier we've all read hellblazer you know so spurrier has this real gift i think for writing deeply flawed sort of damaged characters and a lot I just I think this reinterpretation of 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 Whitman and the Black Knight mythology is is really interesting and there's a there's a realization there's a realization halfway through that it's not 
you know, it 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 twists it. You know, Cyrus Barrier twists it, so it's not the sword that is causing the madness. The Indian and and all it's it's I, I don't want to, to sort of spoil it, but it's it's great, you know, and the the tone of it is say set by the the old word dialect and the is used to comic effect and and all of that sort of stuff. It's 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 just I think I just really I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Did you guys read this? Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, as I said, it's something I knew nothing about. I was two pages into it and I went, I'm not going to enjoy this. And then, yeah, I, I loved it. It was just you know, one of them issues just kind of read with a smile on your face. I really like that character, Earl. Yes. As well. uh, so, yeah, all in all, I enjoyed it. Yeah. I mean, uh, there was a lot There was a lot uh, jammed into 34 pages. Um, really well put together. Uh, it links really well, I think, to the King and Black event. That I mean, I don't know if Black Knight's going to appear again in the event or, or whether or not we're just going to have to wait until... Uh, until the new miniseries um so yeah and, and it, it's it takes place in china as well so we're seeing the effects of of uh king and black on other parts of the world as well uh great fight scenes uh yeah um i mean he's yeah a lot of, a lot about self-esteem in here and reputation and coping mechanisms and addiction and control uh, it's yeah uh, and it, it's 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 weird seeing how how far uh how far Dean has uh, has fallen from his time his time in the Avengers all those years ago. Um, yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. What about you, Alan? Is the Ebony Blade any sort of descendant of the Tooth of the Night Star from Conan? Sounds very very similar. You know the way it had to feed on, yeah. You know, feed on misery and had to be fed, and it would turn its owner mad a little bit. I almost wonder if there's any sort of like if it's a descendant of or something. If you know what I mean? I mean, I, I, I that's a real. I don't. I don't think it is, but if it's not, it should be. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, it's, a, it's a well-worn trope. Don't get me wrong. You know that the weapon that needs fed and all that kind of stuff. But just when you're you're talking about it at such sort of length, there, I'm I'm all I can think of is that Conan story. Uh, the whole I mean, absolutely. I mean, there's and there's there's some great moments in here, swordways with, I guess, the rivalry between uh, Swordmaster and uh, and Dean because Swordmaster has his own. I guess holy blade uh, that has an avatar in it, and he's trying to, you know, he's devoted to this mission for his avatar, and he's this young, clean-cut, you know, uh, <laughs> guy, and Dean is is this slightly more grizzled, addicted, you know, I don't know, versus this young sort of rookie hero. It's uh, it's really interesting, really interesting. I really I really enjoyed it, really enjoyed it, and uh, excited for. For what is to come with Spurrier's uh, Spurrier's adventures with uh, with Dean Whitman, the Black Knight. Yeah, I mean it's nice to see the the Keenan Black tie-ins having that sort of strength because I know you were underwhelmed by quite a few of them early on, Patty, because you were you were going to pretty much read all of the the tie-ins, but seemed to have upped their game in the last in the last week or so. Yeah, there's just another seventy-five all to go, so <laughs> yeah. I hope I haven't picked too early. <laughs> You're not wrong. You're not wrong. So, uh, yeah, so uh, a Marvel pick of the week there then for Keith, which was the one-shot Keenan Black, Black Knight, number one. A uh, few other ones that I know you guys wanted to throw a bit of love out for. I personally haven't read any of them, so can't say a word. I do have Warhammer 40k ready to go. Marnius Calgar number four of five. But you've put it in here as a bit of an honorable mention, Keith. You enjoy this one? 
Yeah, but I mean, I've enjoyed this. I've enjoyed this series. I'm enjoying the way that uh, Marvel are using this license, and I sincerely hope there is there's a lot more to come. Um, it's it's not a fast issue. Uh, there's 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 action in it, um, but it, it's sort of fairly slow paced, and you know, it looks at looks at the training and the uh, the enhancement and the you know the trials that that a Marine, you know, an individual has to go through, a neophyte has to go through to become a, a Marine again. We've got, we've got some slightly, uh, some slightly Hickman-like uh, information boxes and panels in here. Um, and we get our first real proper look at uh, the Chaos Marines and stuff. So it's, I mean, I think this is the, the, the one before the last. Yeah, five uh, issues, so one to go. Yeah, so this is, it's shaping up to be a real, a real triumphant conclusion and a really good, uh, solid story. Story, hopefully set in the stage for Marvel. The rest of Marvel's adventures in the forty k universe, great stuff. But then, Kieran Gillen and Jason Burroughs can't can't really say bad about it. Can't go wrong with that. I mean, another new series kicked off as well for uh, a character getting a bit of a revival at the moment. Obviously, movie on the way as well. So, uh, a brand new number one. Yeah, it's actually. I mean, I and I, I made the same mistake that uh, that you just did, Alan. I thought this was uh, the number one of a series, but it's actually a one shot. Ah. Uh huh. And that is the Legend of Shang Chi number one by Alyssa Wong with art by Andy Tong. Uh, so it's a great standalone tale for the master of kung fu. It's a nice balance of. Well, you know, it it, it digs into we bit into very lightly into Shang Chi's background we have uh, uh Leiko uh, reappear who's his uh, MI6 contact in in uh, in London and uh, there's a lot of there's a there's an artifact there's a lot of martial arts action uh, there's some really nice uh, Shang Chi inner peace moments lady death strikes in there uh, and there's a you know the end question mark at the end so uh you know, I can't really, I can't really complain. the The imagery, the the art style is is just energetic and beautiful. It's exactly what you need for for a Shang Chi book. Um, and the action is just fantastically paced. So I would highly recommend uh, picking this one up if you haven't. Shang Chi is about to become much much bigger than uh, than he he clearly has been with the release of uh, the Legend of the Ten Rings. So. And speaking of big properties owned by Disney and being published by Marvel. High Republic 2 hit. Why don't you hit us with some Star Wars love then, Paddy? Yeah, I quite enjoyed this. I think me and Keith were the same on episode one in that it was very... It was all right. You know, there wasn't... Uh, but this issue took it up a gear for me. Uh, Jedi Keith and her, her master, whose name I know I'm going to get wrong, Seeker Skier. Uh, they head out on a mission with the Kotabi, who are a very well-drawn set of Jedi twins. Uh, yeah, it takes it up a notch for me. Uh, I'm a bit more excited in terms of where the the story's going to go. Uh, Do you enjoy this one, Keith? I know you were. I agree with you completely, Paddy. Um, I think. I mean, I, I was a wee bit underwhelmed by the first issue. I think this this did take it up a notch, as you said. Uh, wee bit more action, wee bit more story. Um, maybe that first issue was just to introduce us to uh, to Keith Trennis and her master uh who uh, yeah he, he seems to be lizard like so i would say skier skier we'll go with that i don't know um but yeah it was uh yeah i think uh i'm gonna i'm gonna give it another 
another couple of issues anyway. And that basically ties together all the, the sort of titles for Marvel this week. So we've got a good few indie ones to go through. So what we'll do is, as you have probably surmised at this point, is that my pick of the week is, is indie and Paddy's pick of the week is indie. So we're going to bookend all of our indie choices then. So do you want to go first or do you want to go last? I'll give you the option. Yeah, I'll go first. I, uh, I mean, you may as well since you stole this one off me again. So It's like two weeks in a row. Just three, is it? I stole your, your pick of the week. I'm losing count for the amount of my picks of Just the week. Just shows we have very similar taste, Alan. <laughs> what was uh, your pick of the week then? Uh, the Maniac of New York, number one, by Elliot Callahan and art by Andrea Mute. Uh, a masked serial killer known only as Maniac Harry, who happens to be a machete-wielding madman with a white hockey mask and a bald, lumpy head. Sound familiar? Mm. Uh, has been stalking the streets of Manhattan for over four years, leaving scores of victims as the authorities are unable to apprehend him or kill him. In the face of Harry's gruesome antics, the city of New York attempts to integrate the threat of the menace into their everyday life, providing systemized warnings about his activity as the entire city tries to adapt. And as a haunted political aide and a disgraced cop join forces to stop Harry, they discover that their biggest roadblocks may be the municipal bureaucracy rather than the serial killer himself. Main characters of the story will kind of follow Detective Zelda Pettibone, She's a disgraced cop who has been assigned to the task force. Uh, it's kind of mentioned that she's a snitch, and we all know how well uh, police love snitches. And then Gina, who's the political aide, she has a bit of a, a bit of a history with the maniac. Her, she was there when he committed his first, his first murder at wait for it, a summer camp. Uh, <laughs> she was kind of, she was kind of dating the the guy that he killed. Uh, and then the kind of the issue ends with the maniac boarding the, the first ever driverless train in New York. Although I really enjoyed it, my only issue with it was that just trying to, and I understand it's a comic and you kind of have to take yourself out of, you know, the realms of, well, that wouldn't happen. You know, it's just this idea that a, a serial killer walking around New York in broad daylight in a country where it's legal to own a gun, you know, that, that nobody stopped them. You know, they haven't called in the National Guard. They haven't uh, yet killed the guy. But what I really loved about this issue is, and it's the first time it's ever really stood out to me in a comic, is, well, A, it feels like a really proper premium product. You know, they're almost like silky pages. But the... The, the Brucey bonus, the extras you get at the end of the issue, you know, there's a book review in there for a fake book on the murderous rampage. There's the news <laughs> articles about him killing at the camp. And then, you know, there's that map of everywhere he's he's committed the murders in New York. Uh, art as well. And this was was just fantastic. All in all, a, a very, very solid first issue. I had high hopes for it. And it, it, it kind of met them, and I really enjoyed it. You're both reading it. I I didn't I didn't touch it, Paddy. Um, not it, it just it didn't really uh, interest me in previews. I have to say, uh, it's it sounds sounds like fun whenever you're talking about it for sure. Uh, very very mid eighties uh, gritty down and dirty sort of thing, but just not my just not my uh, cup of tea really. See, I clearly did not sell you on it well enough, Keith, because this was one of my five picks to go on the board. 
back when putting stuff on the board was a thing of yes course. yeah uh yeah i mean this to me just sounded like you know freddy takes manhattan and i i'm a big horror movie fan or not freddy takes manhattan sorry jason takes manhattan it just sounded like that and this did not disappoint i thought this was absolutely brilliant i thought i think the concept of it's great i don't think that he's walking around in broad daylight you know he appears almost like you know a specter or something like that you know where people don't expect him because there's obviously been sightings everywhere but no one's been able to stop him sort of thing but i I just love the notion of come and live in new york there's a serial killer here but you just have to put up with that (laughs) i just think the concept is just wonderfully barmy uh i think the characters that they're setting up are really interesting i think those two partners are different enough you know you've got the the one who's still optimistic of solving everything and then you've got the one who's just you know tried everything and you know sort of the battered down detective i suppose if you will really good scene at the start as well where it looks like any sort of unsolved murder they just automatically pin on you know the maniac and she's saying you know since when's it is it his mo to shoot people in the head yeah well no that's exactly it and I don't know. I I just I was really impressed with this. I think the world building in its class. This is this is the reason you would like this, Keith, because it's not just like a, a slasher uh, issue, and that's it. As Patty alluded to, the world building's great. You've got a book review of the book called "Bloody New Year: The Maniac mm-hmm, and Massacre mm-hmm. and Murder of a City." You know, you've got the the newspaper clippings, as you say. You've got all the major sightings, but they also drip feed you some information in it as well about certain areas that he doesn't go into. So. You know, you're going to obviously have that explained, but of course, in that in those areas, real estate's more expensive because mm-hmm, you're mm-hmm. safer. And there's just a lot of cool ideas at play here. And and to go back to how you sort of kicked it off as well, Patty, this is something aftershock are doing a lot now. And you probably noticed this with Undone by Blood, Keith. It's it's cardstock covers. It's premium paper being used. Mm-hmm. It is a bit more of a premium product, I think. And and aftershock are doing a really good job with it. So. Yeah, I was really impressed by this. I must admit, I expected it to be bigger in our store because we have a lot of slasher movie fans and hardly any of them seem to have jumped on it. Now, being the smart man that I am, I've kept a couple of copies of number one back because I just know they're going to come to it late. (laughs) And of course, it's already tripled in value on Evil Bay. So, you know, people need to start listening to me. But no, I I love this. I just had so much fun with it. And as you said before, the the expectations for it were big. And I think it hit those expectations. So yeah. uh, I, I just see Patty now, because we're obviously recording this through video. I just see him checking the four sharp corners of his comic. Because <laughs> as soon as I mentioned it's triple the price on eBay, he's like, oh, I must check the condition of this. You sp- I'll send this to CGC. <laughs> you spec monster, I tell you. You know, as if you didn't buy enough copies of Department of Truth. Uh, so yeah, so that's uh, Paddy's pick for the week, which it would have had a real chance of being mine. In fairness, what I ultimately picked, I did prefer. So we're all good. We're all good. But yeah, loads of good indie stuff that you know came out this week. You know, you had the last issue of Canto come out. So issue five of Canto to the Hollow Men. So you had the conclusion to this story but you're also setting up the next mini series which is Canto in the City of Giants and then of course the the main series is going to continue i love this ending i i do think it suffered slightly we chatted about it a little bit before we came on but it does suffer a little bit in that and something i like to call the two towers scenario which is where with the lord of the rings movies fellowship's fantastic because it's world building like crazy and introducing you to this to this place and then Return of the King has the benefit of having a conclusion 
two towers doesn't it's just has to keep the story motoring along keep you entertained but you know you're not going to get a, a conclusion from it there is a lot of setup in this issue in fairness but i thought it was just really well done and i thought it was really the dialogue was great i thought the the ending in the village was fantastic and just put a smile on your face you know the whole turn around part towards the end i i really love this what about you guys uh i agree i think i think the dialogue is maybe it's maybe the strongest issue of dialogue uh in the Kando series so far with regard to just the uh the flow of it and the the crispness of it i think it just it works it works really really well um it has all the heart we've come to expect uh from Kanto. uh and uh, you know i do i guess i mean that in a very literal sense because Kanto really makes a a choice here you know that he in swapping out his clock for the shrouded man's heart you know he's 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 almost pre-sacrificing himself. Yeah, he's almost sort of led Kanto down this path of he's actually bringing this to me so I can destroy it. Yeah, well, yeah, he has really but, but, interesting twist. I thought, but but Kanto, I guess, still has still has hope that you know that won't be. I mean, that won't be the the end result that that he won't have to sacrifice himself. Mm-hmm. That he can he can. Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, yeah. But it does appear that Kando was on a road to a road to sacrifice here, which of course is is you don't want to think about for our little clockwork night. Um, but yeah, it was him being returned to his his friends and and uh, you know I guess resurrecting the people of uh, of Laura's village. Uh, you know the 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 hollow men of the uh of the story title uh, very very good but yeah i can see what you mean i can I, I can see what you mean but i also liked the way the end of this issue the epilogue brought in the one shot the clockwork fairies one yeah. shot you know and uh it, it's there's it's really starting to, to tie stuff together as you would expect at this point you know we're we're now what 11 issues in you know mm-hmm. in, in total so so things are starting to, to tie up together nicely and i'm really interested to see what's coming next obviously city of giants is a different artist isn't that right yeah it's going to be a three issue sort of side quest almost but these these side quests are important because obviously you've got the epilogue yeah. of this as well that links back to clockwork fairies as yeah. well and and even in that little epilogue i thought it was really well written where you know i i I don't have the issue to hand, but it's a line of dialogue, something akin to, you know, maybe we can create a world where even a vile creature like you can change or yes, you know, something. Yes, that's exactly so it. Yeah. He, it's a character that sees the best in people. And, you know, I, I was really, really satisfied with this conclusion, I have to say. But it did, of course, leave me wanting more as well. So, yeah, just uh, I do know when the trade hits. I think it hits in March. It's going to contain the five issues of Hollow Men, but it's also going to contain the, the one shot of Clockwork Fairies as well. So for all you trade readers out there, an issue that I read that I don't think either of you guys were on was a new one called Fear Case. This is going to be a four issue miniseries from Dark Horse written by Matt Kent and art by Taylor, Tyler Jenkins. I'm a fan of Matt Kent in general. I, I tend to jump on nearly all of his stuff. The last one was a, a Dark Horse series called Bang. And he actually links this series to Bang, despite it being unrelated, so to speak. But what essentially Fear Case is about, it's almost an exploration of that old classic, you know, what's in the box, that that curiosity of what it is. So the, the main story follows these two Secret Service agents, and it's the first year um, of them being partners. And there's almost like this rites of passage through in the agency 
where for the first year you're given this case of trying to find this aforementioned fear case. You know, it's it's this box that apparently has always been present at horrific events in history and at big events in history. And if you actually come across it, you know, you'll you'll essentially die within three days unless you pass it on to someone else. So it's it's just a really atmospheric first issue. I thought I thought the the character dynamics between the the two detectives, I think it was Winters and Mitchum, uh, was really really good. I thought there was just dread running through the entire issue. It's it's probably a kind of art style you're either gonna love or hate. Uh, Tyler Jenkins, I believe, did a, a series I read recently called uh, King of Nowhere, which was really really good as well. But just a really intriguing first issue. Some really good world building from Matt Kent. And uh, I'd happily take more than four issues of it, to be honest with you. Uh, so, yeah, definitely one worth checking out. But uh, one more definitely worth throwing out there before I get to, to my pick of the week was, once again, the always strong, very close to being my pick of the week, but we pick it that much. I don't know. We're blue mm-hmm. in the face already. But I would also say that this was the most Robert kirkman issue of Firepower yet. Oh, you reckon? I think why do so. You, why do you say that? For the very simple reason that it has the Kirkman special in it. It has oh, the, the splash the, page close up of, of a the character face, yeah. of mm-hmm. a face. Um, he, only, he only used one page rather than a double page spread though. So, Yeah, but then he has a double page spread later on on top of an airplane or inside an airplane. <laughs> That's right, yeah. So, But yeah, there is, yeah. with Firepower, what's always great is they always have a conversation at the back where Robert Kirkman, who of course is writing and Chris Samney on art, talk about their process. But... This was Firepower number eight, and this is a series that, again, just goes from strength to strength. Great action scenes in it. Great family dynamic the whole way through it. You know, I love the kids in this. I think they're they're fantastic. I think they're some of the best characters. There's a great part with, uh, with Waylon in it where he's just curiously looking at these two kids on these devices. And he's just, I must admit, I've been somewhat out of the loop on these kids and these devices. They can spend hours with them, making no sound and barely moving. With my students, the main struggle has always been focus. This is fascinating. Now, if only I could make my instructions as compelling as these, what do you call them? Apps? Simple. Uh, just great, great stuff. Great action, especially in the end, on the airplane as well. The world is starting to get bigger here as well. Just great, great stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there was a lot of setup here. Um, yeah, is that, the, is that the introduction of a new villain? On the plane, that person, it, he says that uh, I stared into the abyss and I have returned from the darkness forbidden knowledge known only to my kind. I am the serpent's woman. I have my uh, theories, but yeah, for for the purposes of the villain being introduced, I believe, yes, it is a, a new character, but I have my theories. Mm, interesting yeah i see what you're i see what you're saying there alan um but yeah i mean we, they, they've I, this is i guess this is the 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 start of the third arc really um you know there's a lot of the we know the cast you know we know the the, the setup and we know the world uh where we seem to be shifting the the setting from the you know the american suburban environment uh towards back to where we were maybe in the original graphic novel or somewhere closer to that i mean and Chow Feng's, uh, I guess, his martial arts, his kung fu. We see a lot of it at the start, and uh, I don't know. It seems clear that he's going to be a he's going to be a strong opponent for Owen whenever that showdown inevitably happens. Um, continue just to love uh, Samney's art in this, and just the uh, you know the, the the kinetic 
the kinetic feel to the to the movement uh, and to the you know really uh, I mean Kirkman was trying to do Hong Kong martial arts films here you know uh, Shaw Brothers stuff so he's really doing a great job of it uh, absolutely fantastic really love it really love it I mean it's one of the reasons I always go back to my favourite Daredevil run being Wade and Samley because I just think Samley's art once you get into fight scenes and I, it's so dynamic and fast paced and you always know where you are with the art and so forth so uh, yeah I absolutely love Firepower push it on as many people as I can the second trade actually came out recently we've, we've copies in stores certainly for reopening uh, or if you want it in the meantime the second trade is now available brilliant so Alan what was your I've got pick some, of the week I've got some big words to talk about here I have to three say. jokers so three <laughs> jokers no so for me, it's an indie title that takes it this week as well, and, and I know this is something Keith really enjoyed, and it was something we were really looking forward to. So, Redemption number one. So, this is from AWA Studios, uh, written by Krista Faust and art by Mike Diodato Jr. This is Mad Max meets Tombstone, and possibly, and these are big words, and possibly AWA's best number one so far. You know, I continue yep. to love what AWA are doing. You know, their ideas for short four to six issue story arcs it allows creators to work within many different genres even genres that maybe aren't as popular as they once were and they don't have that pressure of having to create a long-running ongoing series the fact that they then release these titles all at a $9.99 price point when they're collected in the trade form makes them one of the most exciting companies around now with redemption i think this deserves a massive audience it's it is a well-worn tale in many respects, but it also creates enough trailblazing aspects to make it stand out. So the basic story is this. The town of Redemption survived the apocalypse, but just barely. The town is run by a cabal of strongmen who hold to ransom the world's greatest resource in the hot desert, water. When a young girl's mother is put on trial and marked for death, she goes out. her daughter goes out to the perilous wasteland to seek the help of a legendary gunslinger. But this is no man hardened by the times. It is, in fact, Cat Tanner, otherwise known as the Butcher, and a woman feared by everyone more than any man before her. But Cat is retired and living in isolation. Will she sit on the sidelines and refuse to help, or will she go back to doing what she does best? And that's a whole lot of killing. This is the creative team responsible for another one of my favourite AWA titles, which is due actually to hit trade soon, a title called Bad Mother. But in Redemption... They managed to create an iconic character within one issue who can stand beside Sarah Connor, Ellen Ripley, and every other badass female in fiction. You know, to make your character a queer, older woman is a brave move. And it would have been easy to see it as just being different, just to suit an agenda or women's rights movements. But this character is awesome. You know, showing how she got the moniker The Butcher is a poetically violent and incredible scene. Even the opening scene of it, which is of a woman being punished in the town of Redemption by religious fanatics because she helped a rape victim abort her unwanted pregnancy. It's a powerful scene and an allegory for how men will tell women how to treat their bodies as if they have some right over her decisions, you know, especially because of their religious beliefs. But the thing about all this is none of it feels heavy handed or like the writer is just trying to batter you over the head with their own personal beliefs. It just makes sense in this world that's being created and it perfectly slots into the story. For it only being one issue long, the pacing of the book is incredible and the decisions made for panel placement, etc. really make a difference here. They've put so much thought into this. You know, let's take the introduction of Cat. 
as the young girl Rose runs off, you know, to find her, a posse is sent after her to bring her back. You know, they catch up, and then the last panel on the bottom corner of the page, before a page turn, is a voice-off panel. Get off my property. And then you turn the page, and she's there in all her glory. Instantly iconic, and one of the great entrances in modern indie comics. There's even a whiff of Linda Hamilton about her, which, you know, is perfect. You know, <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I mean, Diodato, he's well known for pulling from real-world actors, and you'll also see Lance Henriksen in here as the religious man in Redemption. The art is fantastic. The colors from Lee Lockridge also deserve a mention, as this is one mighty fine-looking book. It's very much a breath of fresh air in the Western post-apocalyptic genre, and it sits perfectly beside the masterpiece that is Mad Max Fury Road, which incidentally had a kick-ass female protagonist in Furiosa. Absolutely brilliant, and an early runner for best number one this year. Them's big words. Paddy, why are you not reading this? I'll absolutely kick him myself now. <laughs> you know, my, my rule when it comes to AWA is I'll, I'll trade read them. Uh, I think I made an exception with Erratic, mm-hmm. which I may switch back to for that one, but I'm really, really tempted to pick up this redemption number one. So my next question is, Alan, do you have any copies left? It's almost like I very smartly keep an issue or two back of certain titles. But yeah, I'll, I'll let Keith uh, tell you how good it is now as well. Yeah, I mean, I can't, uh, I, I can't really talk what you've said. I mean, it's, it, it borrows very much from the, you know, the spaghetti western, uh, I guess, genre and the, the, the tropes in there. They're, they're all in there. You know, the, the sheriff and the, you know, the, 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 the religious man holding power over the town and, and, and posses and jails and, uh, you know, the, the, the. You see the muted colors, the nearly black and white, in the in the uh, in the the flashbacks yeah. as well. Uh, and but you know the one thing that it does obviously is sort of starts to redress maybe a lot of those inaccuracies or misrepresentation of women in in westerns yeah. in there western are movies. Yeah, the damsels know. in distress, and that's yeah, yeah, absolutely, and always you know c- controlled or, or or supporting characters. You know, and I think so. I think just turning that on its on its head and is is fantastic, but not in a way that that absolutely. Well, I suppose in some ways, you know, that it does punch you in the face. Uh, you know, the everyone knows the story of the twenty five miners. That's where she got her nickname, the butcher. Uh, was that, that's that was class. So it's just, Diodato on this is phenomenal. I mean, he's. I think, you know, AWA is is offering a lot of these artists just the ability to do the things that they want to do. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, I think he's really, you know, coming out coming out here in this in this Western story. You see the way a lot of the he's, he's sort of a lot of the shading and whatnot is is in that classic dotted style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I think that's really interesting that as well. Was, yeah, there's there, what's always good about AWA titles as well. Certainly with the number ones, is there'll always be interviews at the back of the issue as well with the creative team and you know he was saying how one of the first things he told Axel Alonso when he came to AWA was I want to do I want to do Western you know mm-hmm. simple as that and the fact that he then got to do it with Christa Faust who had worked on Bad Mother with but Jay does say there the halftone dots were the cherry on top of the pie to give it that right retro look and he even says it himself it's it's one of his best works one of the works he's most proud of and like Diodato Jr. has been around, is an industry legend, you know. So it's uh, yeah, just big everything stimulus. about it is just super so rich. Like it's... I know you love your you love your variants, 
Alan, I'm having a look here. There's a Frank Cho variant. I'll be honest. Absolutely stunning I cover. Could, I don't think you can beat the cover, eh? I think that mm-hmm. is just a movie poster right there. It is just stunning. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I, I know I have you know fallen deep into the world of the variant cover, unfortunately. But uh, I'm trying my best to climb back out. <laughs> he says two hours after sending you guys a David Mack Daredevil uh, picture. But yeah, this is just a brilliant, brilliant story. And it's it's nice to read a Western-based story with something fresh to say. Because it's such I mean, an yeah. old, weary genre almost. And is there really much else to say? And well, uh, to yeah, I think they have found a way to do it. It's very easy to forget that this is actually a sci-fi book as well. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's post-apocalyptic set. But yeah, great a great world. Really sort of interesting characters really sort of exciting and compelling it's it just feels and you know it's not just it's not just the butcher it's not just cat tanner it's it's rose as well and it's it's rose's mother who's the doctor who has been whipped at the start and uh yes yeah, it's, it's i'm really 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 enjoyed this first i think there's a lot there's a lot left to be told um maybe even beyond the five issues yeah uh so i'm, I'm really interested to see where this where this goes uh, and, for sure that and even her reputation in it you know there's a good conversation in the center between sort of like the town sheriff and the, you know the religious man who runs the town and they're sort of saying like you know anyone's no one no one's heard or seen from that bitch in years she's probably dead and good riddance you know so she has this legend where people don't know if she's alive doesn't know if she's dead and how she's brought into it at the end is just awesome i mean there's there was a line of dialogue that really stood out where this posse have sort of went after her and they go i'll I'll leave out the swearing here because this is very much an adult book but it's like who the are you grandma and she's like nobody you want to know what are you gonna do (laughs) spank us send us to bed with no supper how about you off and mind your own damn business granny and i can tell you you know what what goes from there is just superb but I yeah. can't wait. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant book, and uh, as I say, an early, an early front runner for one of the best number ones of the year. I would say. Yeah, I mean, it's up there with now. I mean, my favorite, my favorite of the of the AWA stuff for sure. Uh, that I've that I've read really, really enjoyable, and that I mean, Year Zero's in there, so yeah. that's that's a fairly high bar to set, you know. So, most enjoyable stuff, yeah. Yeah, and that brings to an end all of our reviews from the 3rd of February. Now, traditionally at this point, we would then throw out the titles that we're most looking forward to this week. But just in case you guys don't know, you know, I put it in social media and, you know, shared it through YouTube and all the rest. But the thing is that we never received much of a delivery this week. A lot of titles were held up in bad weather in North America. So they haven't made it to this side of the world yet. I can't even blame Diamond for this. It's actually to do with the delivery companies, so yeah. <laughs> I'll let them off this time. But yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a case of almost getting a double week next week. So we're we're trying to come up with some interesting ideas to you know fill the airwaves next week. But we'll get back to you on that certainly. But and uh, you know, given the given given that we're not going to have a lot of comics to read uh, this week, what's going to be what's going to be in your reading pile? I think I will jump back on the Sandman because I have finished the first absolute of it and I really need to jump onto the second one now that this TV adaptation is gathering pace. So I think for me it'll be Sandman. What about you, Paddy? I'm finishing off uh, Baker's run on Captain America. Uh, after that, I'm going to ask Keith for some recommendations, some Marvel recommendations. But I've a 
pale of TV I want to get through. Like, I go on my Netflix and my Amazon Prime now, and it's just, even what I have recorded on Sky, there's so much I want to watch. So <laughs> I may check this next week to, to catch up on some TV. Sweet. And am I to guess, Keith, that you will probably be reading something that I may be dropping to you tomorrow? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things. I just finished off, uh, I finished my pull list uh, the other day, and I've been reading through a book that I think I got about 30 years ago. It's a, a comic adaption of The Hobbit from Harper Collins, um, and it's it, it was very, very wordy, a very wordy adaption, because obviously it was a, an adaption from the original book, but beautifully, beautifully illustrated. Um, I'll throw it to you if you're interested. I just finished it. And I just picked up the uh, the hardback of Nightwing, Prince of Gotham, which uh, which you sourced for me uh, some weeks back. So uh, I'm really looking forward to that. But uh, yeah, you had mentioned possibly two volume three. So uh, in that case, uh, yes, in that case, Nightwing <laughs> might be uh, might be uh, sitting on the edge of the building for a little while. Where are you, uh, Alan, in terms of Invincible? Invincible, I am three quarters of the way through volume one. So. It's my bedside reading uh, book, so it is. So I've got it beside the bed when I am get to the end of the day and I'm thinking, you know, a little bit of superhero shenanigans, but not set within the DC Marvel universe. So uh, I would imagine by the time Keith throws me back to book three, I'll probably be asking him to throw me compendium two of that as well. Sounds good. Sounds so good. I will get there. I will get there. So, yeah, so that's going to do it for us for this week. As ever, a massive thanks to my partners in crime. Uh, it's been a pleasure as always. Has indeed. I've had fun. Yes, this is this is nice, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll get something sort of for next week. But this was a uh, this was this was a nice one, a nice one, and uh, and finished just in time for dinner. Yes, indeed. <laughs> which I'm gonna go. I've already done all my prep, so it's just a case of cooking it. What's on the menu tonight? I have no idea. Whatever's in the microwave when I get home. <laughs> Carbonara for me, made from scratch. Uh, homemade chicken fried rice. And there we are. That's that's the content you guys listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, have a good week, gents. I will no doubt see you soon. Yeah, good talk night. to you. Bye. Bye.